Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. It is Wednesday evening, and we are very happy to have you with us on Padres Social Hour, presented by Budweiser and Petco. It is April 8th, a very big day, or date, I guess, in Padre history and in baseball history. We'll have some fun with that. We'll visit with Sean Casey of MLB Network. We will hear from Alex Miniak, the PA announcer at Petco Park. If you have been longing to hear Fernando Tatis Jr. introduced on the loudspeaker at Petco Park, this is the show for you. And we'll have a lot of fun with all of that coming up. We'll also take your questions and your comments, so fire away, whether on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, however you are ingesting the show today, and uh, we'll have some fun. Very happy to be joined by our uh, two very special co-hosts today. Uh, I will introduce them at once uh, on the bottom of your screen in the beautiful outdoors because the rain has finally stopped. Uh, ben Higgins uh, from Channel 10 and the Ben and Wood Show weekday mornings, 5 to 9 a.m. on 97.3 The Fan here in San Diego. And Brady Phelps, who is like, uh, Brady is is OG social hour, man. You go back to the beginning of this thing. That's true. I do with you in uh, 2015. That's a long Happy time. Happy to be back, my friend. Well, it's great to have you, and thank you both for being here. Ben, uh, congratulations on all the success with the radio show, and look at you enjoying the fresh air. Well, I just figured uh, San Diego, even in the middle of a pandemic, even during a rainstorm, is still the nicest place in the world to live. So I thought I could prove that by getting outside. Plus, the, I had to lock the dogs and the kids inside because they're all on their devices and everything. So it's the only place I could find any peace and quiet. It is, if you got kids, it's a little bit of a hectic time of day. And we'll talk about parenting in the age of the pandemic a little bit while later. We all have kids or some version of children and uh, different ages. Uh, kind of a neat story I, I saw today about all of that. We'll, we'll dive into how that's going uh, for all of us. But I mentioned big date uh, in Padre history. April 8th is in, in one way, I guess, the Padres' birthday because the very first Padre game was played on this date uh, in Mission Valley in 1969 in what was then, of course, San Diego Stadium. April 8th, 1969, Padres beat the Houston Astros in their very first game Two to one. Unfortunately, Bill Center is not here today because he's probably the, the one guy who was actually at that game among uh, all the people who are involved with this show. Uh, but happy birthday to the Padres. And I, I, I always like pulling up the box score, you know, when we're talking about games. And, and guys, the thing that stands out to me right off the bat, not to sound like a cranky baseball announcer, time of game for that 2 1 win over the uh, Astros. Uh, Ed Spezio, of course, had the big home run. Dick Selma went the distance for the Padres. Uh, in front of uh, 24,000 fans, thereabouts, two hours and 14 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Nothing like speedy baseball. I love it. Now, the 1-0, they probably should have shut it down at that point because um, if I remember correctly, the rest of that first season didn't go quite as well. But game one was spectacular. 
Uh, yeah, they sweep the Astros right out of the gate. That's yeah. kind of a funny thing. The Astros were also still kind of a, a baby team. They came on as the uh, Colt 45 seven years prior in 1962. And uh, that, that's like the famous story, you know, that Bill has told it, and I'm sure many other have, is like a couple of the coaches got together. They're 3-0. and They swept the Astros. They were feeling good, and, you know, kind of starting to talk a little bit. Hey, maybe this won't be so bad. And they were very quickly shot down uh, both by, I think, some elder statesmen in the organization and also by reality, as Ben alluded to, the 1969 inaugural season for the Padres would end with 110 losses after uh, beginning the season 3-0. and They went 52-110. and but, but Brady, I always like to also talk about like not only is, are, are things so different in terms of time of game. Game two, by the way, was played in an hour and 57 minutes, um, which is unthinkable today, of course. Uh, but attendance, um, opening day, the first ever Padre game, 23, 24,000 people. Game number two, the paid crowd, the box score crowd was like 4,000 something. Oh my gosh. That was the Tony Gwynn game and they okay. did not uh they did not deliver as fans. I cannot believe that there was a game that was actually um is that also called the Mendoza line when a baseball game finishes under the two hour mark? Uh if it's not, it should be, even though I don't know when Mendoza actually came along. But but Ben, how was that first game in uh, I, I wasn't there, but actually I asked oh. my dad. Uh, if he and my grandpa went because they they were lo- living locally there I'm from here my parents are from here my grandparents are from here and he said actually they didn't go to the first game they went to about 10 games the first season but he doesn't know why they didn't actually make it to that first one um, but since then our family has been season ticket holders for now uh, 51 years so uh, I've sounds like they definitely but didn't go to the second game either I don't though. I don't maybe they went to the second one maybe they didn't want to they wanted to miss the crowds in the first game <laughs> trying yeah, to get out of your family's been season ticket holders for 51 years well they've been going regularly I mean not maybe not full season every year but that uh, we've always gone to many many games every year for 51 years in the family yeah man that's yeah. That's very, awesome. very cool. So that was the uh, first ever Padre game. I think we have some uh, some some cool stuff in terms of pictures and, and whatnot from those 1969 Padres. Um, I, I love the old pictures, as I know you oh, guys do. Yeah. The Brown is back. Nice not see like Here's the old San Diego Union. Jack Murphy's column, by the way, on the left. Don't miss that. Heard of uh, them. Yep. And uh, yeah, Dick Selma, Ed Spezio home run. That is and beautiful. Major League Baseball. That's the Evening Tribune. As you see all, all the, the logos are in logos. pink. And the, uh, the team photo from the 19. Yellow seats. Wow. They don't name a lot of stadiums after sports writers or sportscasters nowadays, I've noticed. That's that's kind of a trend that's dried up. I, it was that, yeah. It's got to be the only one ever, right? <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think, yeah, other than Jack Murphy... Uh, that you have any stadiums named after media Some, members someday, you know, maybe in mem- 40 years, Jesse Agler Park will replace Petco Park downtown. I would uh, love to make that bet with you that it does not happen. <laughs> if you're more than willing to do so, uh, mostly because Petco should still be going fine in 40, 50 years. But That's yeah, happy birthday uh, to the Padres. Also, happy birthday to Petco Park, because it was this day in 2004 uh, that the Padres played uh, their first ever game at the Jewel of the Gas Lamp uh, in downtown San Diego. So April 8th's a big one, man. April 8th's a real big one. 1969, first game ever. 2004, first game at Petco. We got a little video package from that game uh, back in 2004. Let's celebrate the magic of opening night.
swing. Hello, quick go. How you doing? The old four flyers show big lead heart. What a way to do it, right? You walk off the giant. Sean Burroughs golfs one out the other way. Barry Bonds looks sad. That's a that's a great way to open a ballpark. You can't lose the first game in a new ballpark as nice as Petco and the Padres. Not they, won, they won the opener at San Diego Stadium. They won the opener at Petco Park. If they could just open a new stadium every night, they'd go undefeated. <laughs> They're on pace to go 162-0 and when they open a new stadium uh, to start a season. Ben, you, you were at that one, of course. What do you remember about that night aside from the walk-off? I remember... Um, just like looking around, I had gone on a couple of tours of the park as it was being under construction, but to see it with all the people in, and there had been a, a college baseball game, if I remember correctly, beforehand to kind of uh, work out some of the kinks and test it. But just to see that place full of everybody, um, because there was so much anticipation, Jesse. I mean, the delays for a few years in construction. Um, I think San Diego was just so dying to get into this place. And when they finally got in and they got to see a Padres walk-off win, it really was a special day. Favorite part of Petco Park, Ben Higgins, your favorite thing about the ballpark. It can be anything you want. The Western Metal Supply Company building, of course. I mean, it remains today one of the most unique features of any ballpark in baseball, how they actually designed the entire park around the corner of the building to make it the left field foul pole was absolutely genius. And um, anyone who comes to Petco Park, that's the first thing your eyes go to is right down the left field line and, and how amazing that looks. Brady, you may have the same answer. You may not. I know. I I hate being the guy that piggybacks on the answer, but I don't know how you can look at Petco and not talk about. I mean, I could talk about Cardiff Crack if we want to do, you know, our favorite food there. But uh, the the Western Metal, I mean, it's iconic. The bricks, it's amazing. It's got history, obviously, with Social Hour. That's where we used to film the show uh, in in the bottom there. And so I I love the Western Metal. I love that they turned it into sweets. I love that people have gone yard into the suites um, up on the upper deck. I, I I just think that it's no other ballpark can can uh, can touch the Western Metal Building. I just I love it. So as much as I don't like piggybacking on old Benjamin, that's uh, the park is a, is a dear second um, Gallagher Square. I think we call it now, but uh, that to have that area where you can go out and I have many times put a blanket out with the kids and just watched a game from out there and. Uh, enjoyed baseball and from a different perspective i think that's probably my second favorite part of petco park yeah i'm with you guys uh you you named all three things that that i would have named like right off the top of my head outside of the location of the radio booth which is stellar Uh, you don't always get such a great view and we're we're so lucky that we do a petco but yeah western metal building park of the park now gallagher square and uh, Seaside Market, you know, like whether it's Cardiff Crack or it's it's nice too. like it's a, it's a healthy option. You got stuff in there like you can get like a nice salad or something when you're at 81 home games. You don't want to eat ballpark food every night. Um, so that's a that's a really good one, too. I, I love the video, right? You got Teddy in the tuxedo introducing everything. You got Maddie V and Mudcat on the TV call. You have sad Barry Bonds. I mean, that's just like 2004 Padres with a big beating heart over it. Oh, there's heart. even there's more to it. Too. I mean, you got Khalil Green. I mean, I do a pitter patter in my heart every time I see Khalil, I love the man and I miss him dearly. And uh, I, I just looking at that tiny little clip, it is a miracle that Jimmy Carter did not take a tumble after that first th- that step that he took. I don't know how he didn't go down. Um, kind of amazing that we were able to get a president uh, to be able to come and do uh, the first pitch, and that was really cool. There's Loretta. 
And here comes my boy Khalil. I think. Brazy, so. how is it that everyone looks 16 years older, except for Ted Leitner and except for Pecto Park, which looks better than ever? <laughs> I know. Other than the giant video board that's now there, I mean, you, it's hard to tell much of a difference in this. Oh, gosh, Jimmy. Way to stay. And then he gives the fist pump. Man, I love it. That was a good throw by Jimmy Carter. By the way, I believe the story, and Ted has told it, and Ben, I don't know if you can add any uh, color to this at all, but I believe the story is that the very first person uh, to use the x-ray room at Petco Park uh, was Mrs. Carter, Rosalind Carter. I believe she had on that night, something happened. I don't know if she broke anything. I'm messing up the details of the story, but Ted's told it on the air a handful of times. And uh, luckily they had the, the brand new x-ray room. So that's like unbelievable Petco Park trivia. The first x-ray in the x-ray room was Rosalind Carter. <laughs> Well, he's a decent player, I guess, but I hadn't heard that story. I'll have to ask Teddy next time I see him about that one. That's unbelievable, Petco Park trivia. I, I <laughs> yeah, it's. I'll get the details. Thank, obviously, she was okay. You know, thank goodness that's the main thing. But um, yeah, I believe she was the first person to ever get an X-ray in the X-ray room. Uh, I wonder what the players to fan ratio is in the X-ray room. You know, like the 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 jail that's there at Petco. That's probably a hundred percent fans. I would hope. <laughs> Um, but the, I wonder what the, the ratio is for the x-ray room, because I feel like, you know, that, you know, that you could take a tumble on maybe some of those, you know, walkways and stairs, who knows, maybe some, some broken bones for people who aren't the president's wife. Yeah. Well, we'll look into that. We'll, we'll crunch the numbers for you and get back to you next year. Baseball's um, got a staff for everything, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, April 8th in Padre history, April 8th, also in major league history, uh, a very big day because on this date in 1974, Hank Aaron stepped up at Atlanta Fulton County stadium to face Al Downing of the Dodgers. And he sent one out uh, to left center field. And the, the reason of course, that this home run is so important and so famous, it was the 715th career home run for Henry Aaron. And that uh, put him ahead of the babe uh, for number one all time. I know plenty of baseball fans still consider Henry Aaron to be the uh, all time home run King. That's not an argument I care to get into at this particular moment uh, in time, but obviously a uh, magical baseball moment. And Brady, I know uh, you're, you're a big Hank Aaron fan and you've showed it in, in many ways. True story. I am a big, I actually got, uh, there's a little hammer and Hank right there for you. I don't know if you can see that on the TV, but yeah, I love me some Hank Aaron. And, um, I, I, I mean, the stars were kind of aligning on this with, with this being the date that he, um, surpassed the babe. But, um, I did, you know, there was a few weeks back where a friend of mine, Gypsy Oak on Twitter, who is this incredible artist. I have a lot of his artwork. Um, he posted a couple of, you know, people are home with their kids when they're not used to being a lot of old ball players to color. And so I figured that I would try coloring in the only way that I knew how to do it. Um, Cause I really am not a very good artist. So I went to my, uh, went to my griddle and there's a, uh, there's our boy hammer and Hank on the old. Greg, not a very good artist. Look at that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's not- That's a painting. For people who are not familiar with Brady's work. Uh, first of all, promote, promote where they can find the, the pancakes of the past. Pancakes of the past. I mean, I guess on uh, my uh, the pancake dad, the pancake dad at the pancake dad on uh, Instagram is where they they are. Um, I did post them all on my Twitter feed with lob shots, but it was all um, driven. And Jesse, you actually uh, raised helped raise a lot of money for charity water, which is why I started doing the pancakes in the beginning, because in 2015, you brought me onto the social hour and and we talked about it. And that's when I made. I, and we didn't cue any of this up, so I. But there was a really, really bad Seth Foster uh, pancake, 
and then a um, a better. I'm not going to say good, but a better Bill Center pancake. And, I had completely uh, forgotten about the Bill Center pancake, and it was stellar. Do not undersell it in any way, shape, or form, please. It was kind of fun to uh, listen when when it was flipped, listening because Bavakwa was on the show, and he had never seen it before. And he was like, oh, that's Bill Center. You know, like it, was pretty, it was pretty funny. So I was flattered in that. Um, but Ben, to your point earlier, it's not a humble brag about the art thing. It's just my medium is pancakes. And I don't understand it. Batter in a squeeze bottle, it doesn't make any sense. But I'm, I mean, I can't even draw a stick figure. And to be able to, um, you know, do some sort of translation over to the, the griddle is something I'm, you know, just took a lot of practice, but it's because I don't practice with a pen and paper. I practice with pancakes. So, so Brady, you're a super fan. I want to ask you this because the one thing that always fascinated me about that Hank Aaron 715th home run highlight were the two fans who ran out and trotted around the bases between second and third with him. And I always kind of wondered growing up, who, who were those guys? And actually they tracked him down years later. They were 17 at the time. Their names were Britt Gaston and Cliff Courtenay. And while they were arrested, uh, security got a hold of them just a couple of seconds after they left the shot, and after they gave you know Hank Aaron his congratulatory slap, they only stayed in the in the you know in the stadium jail until about three thirty in the morning. Charges were dropped the next day. I think I would normally not recommend this, but I'd say it's probably worth it for their place in history. They get to see themselves every time that highlight is played the rest of their life, and all they had to do was sit for about oh six or seven hours in what with Fulton County. Uh, stadium's jail uh, and now they have immortality it's like they're the only fans that ever really got away with that and it, it worked out for their benefit are you kidding me the fact they got there as he's rounding i couldn't believe yes. how fast they got there and i love hearing they're 17 that means obviously that you know easier for them to make a stupid decision but in hindsight was it to your point kind of brilliant like if you told me right now the charges were going to be dropped and you could round second and just finish the bases with Hank Aaron on seven fifteen. I mean, it's the biggest no brainer in the history of time. They wouldn't I'm be dropped today, but they were back then. And those guys got right. <laughs> right. Now it's like, that's assault brother. And you're arrested for sure. But if you knew what the consequences would be, I mean, if the story was different, right. And those two guys who, by the way, you know, their names and what time they're in. That's weird, but whatever, you know, that that's great. Good for you. Um, but the, if, if the story was different and like, they never got a job and because they couldn't get a job, they lived on the streets and, you know, like, you know, depending on how their story unfolded, obviously that could have had a very different ending. I'd be like, why would you ever do that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. But since I know that they were in jail because of you till only three 30 in the morning, it's kind of amazing. So love it. It's uh, there is, and kind of to that point, there is a darker side of that story. As you mentioned, they were well-intentioned and they were just like excited, dumb 17 year old kids. But the reality is leading up to that moment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Time, Henry Aaron had received all kinds of horrible hate mail, uh, particularly yeah. having, you know, playing in the South at, at that particular time and breaking Babe Ruth's record. So he has told the story that as he's coming around there, he didn't know those guys were just a couple of knuckleheads uh, that were excited, you know, by the moment and wanted to celebrate with him. He obviously had uh, a worst case scenario kind of cross through his mind. And like yeah. you said, luckily they were just a couple of knucklehead kids that, uh, like you said, go down now in, in a big part of baseball history. Incredible. Yeah, one of the things he said after the game or when you know he had to did his speech, he said, Thank God it's over. And people didn't really understand at the time. This wait, this is exciting. Why are you so happy it's over? Uh, he was just glad because there had been so much buildup and so many, you know, letters and death threats that uh, he actually wanted to put it past him, just get to 715 and put it in the rearview mirror. 
One of my uh, favorite things about like famous baseball plays is knowing who was on deck when it happened. Um, I don't know. It's just like always one of those curious things. Pretty good one for uh, Henry Aaron, 715th career home run. Dusty Baker uh, was the on deck batter. Um, And uh, our buddy Robert Ford, uh, the radio voice of the Houston Astros, uh, because Dusty's now the manager of the Astros, uh, tweeted a story earlier today. Uh, about how they were doing a, a radio show, I guess, at some point during spring training. And this came up, this event, and Dusty talked about, yeah, I, I got a double right after Aaron homered. Not the case. Uh, so he, walked. <laughs> he walked. He didn't it's double. So good. And and when Robert Ford told Dusty, uh, well, actually, like, here's the box score, you know, or the, the play-by-play of it, you didn't, you didn't double, you walked. Dusty was like, I've been telling people for 50 years that I doubled after Hank Aaron hit home run number 715. But uh, he had doubled Aaron home earlier in the game. Perhaps that's what he was thinking of. But kind of one of those uh, funny little footnotes in baseball history. Really one of the most famous highlights, obviously, of, of all time. I think it's fantastic. And there's a lot to break down in it. Like, you know, just talking about that Dusty Baker thing, you know, people, I think it caught, I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about it a lot. Revisionist history, the way our memories shift and change. Like Dusty Baker was not intentionally lying for the last right. 50 years. He really believed that he had doubled him in. And I think that part is I mean, it's kind of adorable and it's not, you know, out of any sort of malice. Um, but I also, did you hear who was in left field, who the ball, the, whose head it went over uh, when, when yeah. Aaron hit it? Bill Buckner. Yeah, Bill Buckner. So Bill Buckner has been not on the great end of, I mean, not that he could have, you know, you know, gone go, go gadget arm and made that catch, but, you know, just his name being associated with some pretty incredible baseball moments in the, in the history of the game. And not ones necessarily that you would want to be remembered with. So Bill Buckner, and this comes with a little bit of an asterisk, but you know, criminally underrated as, as a hitter. Yeah. More career hits than Ted Williams. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Now yeah, Ted Williams goes to war, so obviously he loses a lot of at bats, a lot of opportunity to get hits, but people don't think of Bill Buckner that way, as you said. They think about 1986, which by the way, talk about the longevity of his career. This highlights from 1974. He's in left field for the Dodgers. Um, and then, you know, a dozen years later, he's still playing a, a central role, albeit a negative one, for the Red Sox um, in the World Series against the Mets. So uh, we could unpack that thing uh, forever, any of this stuff. We're, yeah. we're three huge baseball geeks. Uh, the famous, uh, from broadcast standpoint, the famous call uh, is Milo Hamilton's. He was the announcer for the Braves at the time. He was the new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. You've probably heard it a thousand times. And it's kind of crazy because Vin Scully obviously also called that home run uh, on the Dodgers side. And it's like the one time ever, I guess, that Vin Scully does not have the famous call uh, associated with the moment that, that he broadcast because obviously he's, uh, as far as most of us are concerned, the best to ever do it. And uh, it's the Milo Hamilton call that you always hear. So anyway, yeah, that is kind of wild. Did, did you see what Mud, uh, Mud tweeted out today? Kind of an interesting tidbit. And usually, I blocked, actually. <laughs> oh, that, that's, I don't know why I don't, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's a great call. But uh, usually the clip that you do here when it's not Milo and it is Vin Scully's call, it's actually condensed because Scully lets a minute and 40 seconds pass of complete silence during that call after he you know, makes the initial call to get in rounding second. And then he just shuts up, which is what you know makes him obviously an absolute legend. And then Mud said something like, I asked him years later and he said he went to get a cup of coffee. Now, I don't know if that part's true or not, but I mean, minute 40, you could easily go get a cup of coffee. Who knows? He was not screaming cuidado. That's all I know. And, Peace uh, and yeah. <laughs> Speaking of mud, by the way, uh, not to just pretend like this show isn't happening because we're having a, a jolly old time and I'm enjoying it very much. But uh, tomorrow, Don and Mud will be joining me for the entire show. So look out. That'll yeah. be uh, let me, that'll let, be me let me upgrade you. 
That'll be quite yeah. a nice. <laughs> It'll be fun. We'll have a good and, time. And they poke each other from the boxes, like, you know, with a stick <laughs> or something. I just, mm, if, mm. if they can, they will. I assure you. <laughs> if there's any way to pull that off, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll do that, certainly. Uh, all right. We mentioned Ben, uh, Ben's radio show with Steve Woods in the morning on 97.3, the fan. Uh, Five to nine a.m. every day is a very entertaining show. Do, do tier a, one right here. Tier one. Wonderful job. Thanks, there Brady. you go. Uh, regular guest. Um, and uh, so we we do a bit. You know, you you Stephen, uh, Paul, myself. Um, that is called. Well, you set it up. Uh, take us through the incorporation. Right. Yeah. So um, it's actually Woodsy's idea as we were going through the season last year, just to spice things up a little bit. Jesse would join us each Tuesday, and Woodsy said, "Let's see what we can do to make the." radio broadcast a little more difficult for jesse because calling a major league baseball game isn't hard enough uh, he called it the incorporator and what we did each week we'd have jesse on tuesday morning and then we would give him a bizarre word that would have no business in a baseball broadcast and he would have to find a way to somehow use that word during that night's call of the game now we thought this would be a challenge for Jesse. We we sorely underestimated him. He batted a thousand over the season. It just became fun to listen to all the ways that he would incorporate the incorporator word each time on the broadcast. All right. So that's right, this uh, one. This one's gonna be tough. Ready? Diphthong. Say again. Diphthong. <laughs> Silence. Are you familiar with diphthong? I am not. No, okay, no. well, it's a noun. And it is a sound formed by the combination of two vowels in a single syllable, like, for example, the word coin. So coin, C-O-I-N. It's a diphthong is a sound formed by the combination of two vowels in a single syllable. Coin. Oi. Got it? I think so. Diphthong. (laughs) All right. So then, so that was the setup. All right. That was the setup. So I had to use the word diphthong, which is never something that's going to ever come up in a baseball broadcast. I had to use it on the air that night. That's the other thing is it's got to be that night, yeah. that Tuesday night. Got to do it quick. So here you go. Three, two, swing and a miss, back-to-back keys. Yeah, the, uh, the linguists out there. Oh, they're always there. The phonologists. Always, always there. And I tried to remember the uh, Gristini's supermarkets that are in New York City in Manhattan, kind of a little boutique. So I took that R and then remembered Gristini's to get Aristides. Okay. So far, so good. Not bad at all. You got to do whatever you can. By association, sure. You get all the different things you have to worry about with that. Your semi-vowels, yeah. your diphthongs, your triphthongs, your vowel breaking, all the different ways to say stuff. And you want to say it no. the right way for these guys. I pulled my diphthong in college. Oh, you don't want to do that. I was out like six weeks. <laughs> Terrible. It's near the oblique. Yes. That was so good. <laughs> Teddy, I'm not laughing. I'm not. I'm not laughing for myself. No, no, no. But Ted. part of the, part of the bit is that Ted doesn't know what's going on. So the fact yeah. that he grabbed on to that word just made that one just priceless. Um, when Teddy pulled his diphthong in college, that he, I mean, that line is even if if the incorporator wasn't a thing for Teddy <laughs> to pull to like piggyback on Jesse, you know, lobbing up a, a diphthong and then for him to run with it and pull it in college, it's amazing. It's, uh, that, that might have been my favorite one, like thinking back on it now. We had a lot of I mean, what were some of the other ones? It was like mayonnaise, aardvark. Uh, <laughs> mayonnaise, that's your nickname, Ben, right? Mayonnaise man. Yeah, that was the fir- very first one. And uh, Jesse talked about crab cakes. They were in Baltimore, I think. Started talking about ingredients for crab cakes. And Teddy accused him, oh, Bobby Flay here. 
he started talking about Aristides Aquino, you know, because sometimes I sort of pre-plan how I'm going to work the word in, right? Because like they're, they're not layups most of the time. Like you have to have some kind of plan of attack, like a strategy. And, and Ted started talking about a tricky name, this slugger for the Reds guy came up last year. He was unbelievable. Aristides Aquino and how he was remembering. And that's what you heard there about the grocery store, how he was going to properly pronounce the name. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is great. He, he completely set me up and uh, gave me an opening to work in that word. So uh, that's, that's how that came out, but it's a great bit. We have a lot of fun with it. And uh, Tuesdays during the season, you guys gave me a word this morning that I have to use on the show tomorrow, right? We did. So we'll see if a uh, mud or Don pick up on it as co-hosts, but he has a word Tomorrow, he's going to have to work into the Padres Social Hour. Right. We'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll do it tomorrow. And then you listen to Ben and Woods uh, on Friday morning, I guess, to, to hear how that all went. So that is the incorporator. We have a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, Ben, for playing along. We have a good time with that. <laughs> thank this you, Jeff. <laughs> I, think, I think that every one of the co-hosts that come on Padres Social Hour should have like their friends give them ones. And then they try to sneak them in. And then Jesse, you, and whoever the co-host is has to try to figure out what was the outlandish word that you dropped that, you know, you like stop and be like, hold on. Was that, was that an incorporator? Because you had no business saying that word. No, that's, that's definitely part of the fun of it is you start using yeah. words that night just to like make people, you know, kind of wonder a little bit. Eric's right. That was another one. Troglodyte. I don't remember how I use troglodyte, but I did. It's uh, I don't like a, he's like a troll type person, you know, yeah. some of his, that was a, that was Woodsy's choice. If I remember correctly. Yeah, I think he's got some Max Muncy hang up when it comes to that word, as I recall. But uh, anyway, all right. So that's the incorporator. And uh, we got Sean Casey coming up in a little bit. MLB Network, great conversation with him about uh, the Padres. He was out at camp, actually, in Peoria just before we all kind of uh, scattered and departed with everything going on from a health standpoint. Talked to him about what he saw in Peoria. Now, though, an opportunity to hear from a guy we have sadly not heard from since last September. And that is the voice of Petco Park, uh, PA announcer Alex Miniak. All right, Alex, obviously, uh, like the rest of us, uh, waiting for that first game uh, of the season, whenever, wherever that may be. What is the uh, voice of Petco Park? What is the PA announcer of Petco Park doing to stay ready for baseball? Doing everything I can, really. Um, We have this little video game called MLB The Show. Not sure if you've heard of it. I'm sure you've talked about it. Uh, I saw you actually had Ramon on recently. Um, Yeah, read read a lot of names in the game. Uh, Been doing a lot of independent voice work trying to keep the vocal cords loose and ready for baseball season and uh, just just watching the calendar and hoping for the best. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, Alex is the PA announcer in MLB The Show in the video game. So every ballpark in the game, no matter who comes to bat, it's Alex's voice introducing them. Uh, so I guess kind of a, a two-part question. The first part is quick. How many names have you recorded for that? And how much work is all of that? Thousands of names, actually. You know, And I wish I knew a true count. But I do recall doing probably an additional 3,000 names this year because we added uh, players in the minor league system, both at AA and AAA. So if you count that with every active major leaguer that's in the game, plus all the creative player names and all the legends, uh, I'm sure in the five figures by some point, if not already. Man, so if you're already in the five figures, how many are you at with all of the Twitter uh, names and shout outs that you did. Tell us a little bit about what you did on Twitter for people. <laughs> yeah. So on, uh, on opening day, I figured, you know, I needed some names to read since we couldn't be at the ballpark and why not please a few fans by doing a few custom batter announcements. So I threw a tweet out there 
on uh, on social media and just said, "Hey, send me your name, first eighty-one to represent the eighty-one home games. We'll 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 get a get a shout out to you and a you know name, player, position. Uh, we'll get you a genuine Petco Park batter announced. We did those, uh, knocked those out for everybody, and uh, actually we ended end up doing close to a hundred. Uh, how uh, how do you come up with the different ways to to say the names? Not necessarily the the fans or the the people on Twitter or anything like that, uh, but you know at, at Petco for the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. Where do you sort of uh, <laughs> come up with everything? You know, it's just a feel. You know, uh, over the last I've, I've been at Petco Park now for the last last six seasons and uh, going into season number seven, and every year I continue to kind of hone the sound of both my presentation and delivery and and with kind of how players are coming up, the sound of the ballpark, our new features. I, I try to meld that together into a unique sound and a unique expectation for the fans in the ballpark. So every year it changes a little bit. And uh, and then, you know, when we get a new player, a new exciting player like a Machado or a Tatis, I immediately start thinking like, how can we do this to make this sound very Petco Park? And I'll, I'll try a few things both in my head and on site, and I'll run it by a few people even in the control room. Um, but, and then sometimes I'll just spring it as a surprise when, when we had Manny Machado, people were like, how are you going to do Machado? And I said, oh, you'll see. And then when we did opening day lineup, that was the, the, the first time everybody heard it was the first time I did it. That means you were feeling some serious confidence in the way that you were going to say Manny's name. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of had a feeling in my head. I'm like, I think this will work just based on how I know that ballpark sounds and how the fans react. How do you think, like, has there ever been a time when maybe you changed it from one season to the next? And then a player was like, uh, can we go back to last year? Like, I can't, or they said like, hey, that was really neat. I'd like to change. Like, do the players ever have input with you? Do they interact with you at all? Does that influence your decision? Like, tell us some of the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, no, not really. You know, I throw it out there. And I think I think as the player has longevity in the league and they start racking up stats and they become a fan favorite, I'll kind of extend that flair a little bit for them. And I've gotten positive feedback from them as a result of that. So I just kind of ride that. And if they're digging it, we'll, we'll go with it. Uh, just, you know, for, for everybody right now, who's like really, really missing baseball. Can you give us like a leading off the shortstop number 23, Fernando Tatis Jr. Just like, so we can all kind of close our eyes and, and pretend we're, we're at Petco on opening day. Sure. Thank you. Leading off the bottom of the first for the Padres, the shortstop number 23, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, thank you for indulging me very much. I, I, I don't make, I don't want you to feel like you're a trained monkey or anything like that. But uh, I, I think a lot of people would probably want that as their uh, their ringtone right about. I, now. I feel good just doing it. I, I miss doing it. So anytime anybody asks, I'm going to oblige right now, especially. Well, it's cool too because we get to see your facial expressions when you're doing it. Like yeah. fans don't get to see that in the ballpark. Obviously, like your eyes got really big when you dropped that junior. You know. Yeah, like yeah. I usually have some sort of large. There's a microphone phone and there's headphones and there's all papers in my face and everything so this is the clearest shot you'll ever get in terms awesome, of, man. Uh, well, I, I, sorry brady go ahead no no go ahead Justin. in terms of, of the control room you mentioned it and obviously like most fans have never been in there or maybe not even seen it just corner sort of up the third baseline a little bit next to the press box and the broadcast booths um i, I know from having looked down there it is a uh, rather busy place uh, maybe give everybody a little bit of a sense of just how hectic it is in the control room and everything that's going on in there. There's so many incredible and talented people who put on the show, as we sort of refer to it, which is the, the video board, but everything else, the music, uh, the PA announcements, uh, all the ribbon boards, everything that gets blasted out uh, for the fans in the ballpark. Give us a little bit of a behind the scenes of what it's like in there during a game. 
Sure, you know, it's it's like being on the floor of the stock market. There's a lot there's a lot going on at any given time. Um, my first season, I had a I had my own PA booth, which was off to the side, and it was quiet. It was private. I got cues in my headset when to go, what to say, when, and that kind of thing. And um, I had always come up in sports, kind of being in the center of the action. So when we got the new video board in 2015, and we did. Uh, redid the control room and reconfigured the seating and stuff in there. Uh, I have the opportunity now to sit front and center, right in the middle of the craziness. So um, I, I'm there for everything that's going on. It's there's there's notes being passed and forth, uh, uh, notes being passed back and forth, uh, papers being handed all over the place, uh, changes. Uh, you're reacting to the game, the crowd, the excitement. Um, so I like sitting right front and center in the middle of things because I can feel that energy and that energy then translates to the microphone and to the crowd. That's pretty cool. Hey, I, I got it. This is, I always love to ask this question to people who are, you know, really in the, in the midst of what is happening in professional baseball outside of the current team you're working with, obviously the Padres outside of current players and past Padre players. Who have you gotten to meet because of your job that was kind of your like starstruck, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm meeting this person moment? Does anyone come to mind? A lot of it is uh, is broadcasters, actually. You know, when, when broadcasters come to town from other teams, a lot of them are former players. Uh, or, or someone uh, that I that I had grown up watching, you know, or Oral Hershiser for one comes. Yeah, he's Dodger. Well, I, I get that, but uh, but this is a guy I grew up watching on the Hill, one of the greatest pitchers of his time. He is a broadcaster now, and I'm sharing an elevator with him going down and and out the building, or or I'm sitting at a table next to him uh, at dining before the game, and that's kind of where I get awestruck is is to see someone from my youth actually sitting next to me or close to me or being in the same room as me. Uh, someone I had admired both as a broadcaster and as a player. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of the perks of the gig. And, and speaking from your experience and mine, uh, like you said, it, it, it's funny, Brady, too, because it's like, as he said, it's always the guys who were a big deal when you were a kid mm-hmm. that like get you most excited. You know, I mean, sure. like I, I could meet Clayton Kershaw and I have met Clayton Kershaw and that's cool because he's Clayton Kershaw and he's one of the great pitchers, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's not the same as meeting somebody who was a dominant force when you were a kid, when you fell in love with the game, when you were a true fan, you know, as opposed to somebody working in it. So I, I, I agree with Alex. It's a good question. And Oral is one of the nicest people on the planet, too, which makes yeah. it that much more awesome. He's always willing to talk with you. Yeah, no doubt about it. Alex Miniak is the voice of Petco Park. He is uh, staying ready. Uh, you did the World Baseball Classic, right? Also when it was at the ballpark. What was that experience like? We got that coming back hopefully next year. Yeah, you know, uh, that was that was a totally different experience than anything I've ever done. I mean, w- we've worked now all-star games, home run derbies, that kind of thing. But World Baseball Classic is a little different. The flair and the excitement and rooting for a country. And it's and it's 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 an all-star team for each country. So you see a lot of you not not only see baseball pride in there, but you see a lot of cultural pride in there too. Uh, it's an international event. It's a lot of exciting a lot of exciting stuff to work. Um, you watch some exciting plays uh, take place. You watch Machado's home run fall just short to Adam Jones, and you know in one of the biggest plays and one of the most memorable plays ever of that tournament, and that happened right in front of us. <laughs> so uh, that that kind of stuff is real cool and stuff you don't get to see every day. Do you, do you spend time fantasizing about the postseason, you know, and the Padres playing, you know, meaningful October baseball at Petco Park? Oh, Are you sure. talking to me, Jesse? 
Everybody, I guess. Or, uh, <laughs> yes, I, I do spend time fantasizing about that. Sorry, I'll let you answer, Alex. No, yeah, I mean, we all do as fans, right? And yeah. people who work as many games as we work, and as 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 much time as we spend up there, and, and as much time as we watch, you know, watching player development, watching these guys come along. Uh, we know the fans are, are anxious for it and eager and ready to ready to get going in the postseason and see how this team performs. And yeah, I can't wait to to work game number one of the postseason. I don't, that'll be the, one of the most fun things I've ever done. And in my head, I'm thinking like, well, what it'll what will it be like? I mean, I've worked playoff games in the minors before, and that's even a different experience. What, what what's it like on a major league level? I'm ready to go. As soon as that happens, I am ready to go. Yeah, you, me, Brady, and everybody else. Uh, oh, yeah. San Diego, ready to go for that. Hey, man, uh, great to see you. Great to hear your voice. Thank uh, you. Wonderful to catch up. Glad you're healthy. Thanks for taking a few minutes for social hour. And uh, stay loose. Hopefully, we'll need you soon, not later. Yes, I hope to be back very soon. Hope to see you gentlemen very soon. That is Pickle Park PA announcer Alex Miniak. Thanks, Alex, for taking some time earlier. It's funny, I'm watching that, guys, and I'm thinking to myself, like, there are definitely a large handful of people watching this right now that have never seen his face before. It's one of those things. I got my box back. I'm here. I how could you guys not ask what was in that crystal decanter on his on behind him? It was like a message in a bottle thing going. I was so I was curious the whole time, but I I was my I was gone on my box, so I couldn't ask. Uh, I didn't. Uh, yeah, we taped that. We should just nobody get confused. You know where Ben went. I probably should have mentioned that on the lead, and then we talked to him earlier. It was the first time we tried taping an interview with a second person, so it was experimental. It went very yeah, well. No, it was fine. Except someone should have asked what was in that that glass thing. I was curious the entire time. Maybe. Well, you know, Ben, guest. you're just kind of dripping with jealousy right now. You know, you get the boot for the interview, and the first thing you do is call us out on what we didn't do correctly in the interview. Fine, then I'm not inviting you to our interview with Ed Orgeron tomorrow morning on Ben and Woods at 7.35. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, plug, plug much? Tier one, yeah. I'll be listening. I, can't, I, I, love me, I love me some Ed. I don't know how to do a good Ed impersonation, but he has a really weird voice. Very weird. Uh, neither one of you are invited to the Sean Casey interview in a few minutes, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll ask him about something that's uh, behind him. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Uh, most interesting thing I think I read today uh, was Tim Brown of Yahoo. He does a, a great job covering baseball. He's always kind of coming at things a little bit differently. And uh, he had a story today. I, I can't recommend it enough, particularly if you are a parent of uh, kids who live with you at this particular time. And, you know, he, he talked to a lot of people in baseball, John Daniels, the Ranger GM, Derek Shelton, the Pirate Manager, and, and a handful of others about what life is like right now in sort of this uh, permanent state of homeschool that so many of us find ourselves in and how, you know, these baseball people that we so often look at only as baseball people are dealing with the real life challenges of like algebra homework and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I think between the three of us guys, we have a lot of different uh, phases of childhood represented. I have a four-year-old son, Ben, how old are your kids? 14 and 16. Okay. So you got teenagers. God bless yeah. you. And yeah. Brady. I'm splitting the difference. I got eight and 10. Okay. So we really do. We have, we have like the, the under five, spectrum, yeah. the elementary school and the high school, middle school kind of thing, uh, all figured out right here. I mean, I, I'm sure it's the same for you guys and your families and talking with your friends. Everybody's kind of trying to figure out how to do this. It, it's one of those where like we're all in this together. You know, I mean, every parent out there and, and you read this story, it's a good reminder of that. But but Ben, I'll, I'll start with you. What have things been like from a, a school standpoint in your household these last few weeks? Well, they've gotten past the point where I can help them that much. If I ever did know the stuff they're learning, I've forgotten it all by now. So like they come down with math homework and it's just like completely over my head. So it's mostly just moral support and like 
checking in and making sure that they're, you know, touching base with their teachers online and turning in their assignments still. I did talk, I talked to Adrian Gonzalez earlier today. He's got an eight and a six-year-old and he was playing teacher at home, said uh, he's not a good teacher. He admitted to it. But having the younger, that must be really hard right now when they're used to being in class from, you know, 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. And now they're so many extra hours of the day to try to fill with them. Brady. Yeah, well, I'm a little. I'm first of all, Jesse. I'm jealous of just the four year old because I mean, a four year old. It's like you, you've got everything. You know all this stuff about what four year olds are learning. Um, I can ben, do the, the letters, yeah. Right, right, and and Ben, I absolutely love. Uh, I, I absolutely love the moral support comment. It's so good because, like, I listen. It's not that. Like you mentioned algebra, I actually feel like I could do algebra maybe with a little bit of brushing up. But what I can't do is uh, my eight-year-old and ten-year-old math. They teach math completely differently than they did when we were in school, all three of us. And so, trying to figure out what they're doing, it's impossible. It's mind-boggling. It's like I know how to do this, but I don't know how to do this the way your teacher. Yes, I've got addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication. <laughs> I got this stuff down. But you want me to show my work? This is like this is like criminal. What they're I, I don't I don't understand it at all. I'm too small-minded, pea-brained, whatever you name. The adjective, I can't do it. That's that was one of the uh, the comments that came from John Daniels, the Ranger GM. He was like, "I can do this stuff, but not the way they're supposed to do it." Yeah. Like, so Daddy, this isn't how my teacher does it. Daddy, this isn't how my teacher does. It. I'm like, I this is how I learned, and I know how to do this stuff. I work in a job that you know involves numbers from time to time, and yet the way we did it apparently isn't good enough. So it's. Yeah. Um, I do. I, I would like to point out with the homeschool thing, um, not just for my wife and mom and, and and the mother of my children, but for moms everywhere and wives everywhere that um, maybe our husbands or wives, whoever is whoever is playing the primary role of teacher at home right now, because I think worldwide there's over a billion children that are being homeschooled right now. Um, you just all deserve a sainthood. You know, you've you've earned it. It's amazing. Um, I, I just, my wife is an absolute rock star and the fact that she is able to, you know, parent and teach and, you know, play ringleader and defense on both the two kids fighting with each other. And, uh, it's, it's really incredible what she's doing and, and, and the parents out there that are, you know, going through this, it, it really is incredible. And so crazy times, but, you know, it gives us an opportunity as families to really draw together and, um, you know, kind of figure out what we're made of and, and grow our bonds even stronger if we don't drive ourselves nuts. And so yeah. that's that's the goal. Stay sane and uh, and grow closer as a family. So everybody's dealing with it in, in some way, shape or form. And, and there is comfort to be taken there. And again, uh, I can't recommend uh, Tim's story enough. Yahoo today about yeah, uh, the folks good. in baseball dealing with these same things that we're dealing with, because we're all people right now. And there's uh, there's 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 obviously people in more difficult situations and easier situations. But everybody's like you said, a billion kids worldwide. I think 60 million in this country alone uh, out of school right now. It's uh, it, it's a pretty remarkable thing. All right. Uh, another interview now this one like i said taped with just me so those guys will disappear for a few more minutes uh, i got a chance to catch up with the mayor sean casey of mlb network wonderful conversation just a little while ago well a guy i'm very excited to talk to from his home in western pennsylvania the mayor sean casey mlb network and a, a big time big leaguer in his day thank you for doing this glad to hear that your uh, family is doing nicely in Western Pennsylvania. I hope that continues to be the case. Certainly 
saw you out in Peoria, uh, whatever that was. I, I've lost all track of time. I can tell <laughs> that too, right? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was this year. Outside of that, I, I couldn't tell you. How, how was your time in Peoria at Padre Camp? Oh, my gosh. Well, I had a great time at camp. You know, it's funny because it, 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 I think it was right before all this craziness started, started happening. I think the last camp that I did for MLB Network was in Peoria with you guys. And then next thing I know, uh, I think I was gone the next day. And then next thing you know, the camps were, I think it was like March 10th or March 11th. But I really enjoyed my time at Padre Camp. You know, I, and I tell you what, I mean, hopefully they get a lot of the season in because, you know, I really enjoyed that team and, and, the, and the talent that they have there. Well, if you're a, if you're a Padre fan or if you're somebody on TV talking about the Padres, what, what are you most excited about right now? What stands out to you from your perspective? Well, you know what? I mean, I think, I think, uh, well, well, talking to Paddock, you know, I, 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 I was excited just talking to him, uh, you know, his presence, his demeanor, you know, how much he loves the game. I think that's huge to have that. Lamette was a guy that everyone kept talking about in camp. I always think like when you get a guy that the players are talking about that are so impressed with, you know, I think he's got, you know, frontline stuff. If Garrett Richards health, it, you know, is there, you know, that's a big time uh, piece too. Uh, the bullpen was, was, a, was a big talk, you know, around camp too about the good arms. And also too, for me, man, I, I you know, bringing in Tommy Pham, I think is a huge sign for you guys. Cause I, you know, I think, what is it? He's only, he's never lost uh, any more than 86 games or, or hasn't, he's never lost less than 86 games. Right. So I, I think, you know, his, his win total is always right on 86. So I, we were joking around that, like, hey, sometimes you need those kind of pieces. But Fernando Tatis, man, this guy's got a chance to be the greatest guy, the greatest player in the game. I think the biggest thing with Tatis is staying healthy. But when you watch him and you watch his work ethic, you watch his defense, but and you watch his offense, how impressive he is going gap to gap with the power that he has. Man, I mean, you guys out there in San Diego have a really special once-in-a-generation type player in Tatis. You were known, obviously, as a tremendous clubhouse guy, a glue guy on all the teams that you were on. One of the observations we all made around the Padres last year was that Fernando Tatis Jr. was a tone setter in the Padre clubhouse as a 20-year-old rookie. That doesn't happen very often, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But there's certain guys, there's some guys that you play with that the respect factor is greater than their age. You know what I mean? And, and you know when their play is so good, and they're such a good person the way Tatis is, you know, you just lean towards that respect towards him. And I think, you know, with, with Tatis, he already looks like a veteran leader on that team. And you can, you're just, you know, when you're with him, you're just attracted to his personality. You're obviously attracted to his game, but there's something special about him. And I think that's what everyone around baseball sees. But when you get up, up close and personal with Tatis, you realize, okay, now I see what everyone else is seeing, you know, and then for me, you know, being with the network, having a chance to get it close with those guys, you know, that's a special thing. Uncommon times right now, obviously. If, if you were still playing and you were in this sort of limbo that everybody is in right now in terms of not knowing when, if things are going to get going from a baseball perspective, how, how would you be spending your time? What would you be doing right now? Well, I mean, I, you know, obviously I try to be safe first with my family, you know, making sure I'm following, you know, what, what everyone else is doing. So this thing, you know, we can – we can minimize it and, and and get over it as quick as we can, so we can get back get back on the baseball field. I think that's what everyone would want, you know. But as a player, I mean, you, a lot of these guys probably have the facilities they need, if not in their garage, in their house, you know, whatever. So that that's probably 
huge for those guys. But at the end of the day with baseball, I know for me as a hater, I can speak as a hater. You know, I used to have a tee at my house and a net that I could just go and set up and hit off of, or if I could just take some dry swings or whatever. You know, I think, uh, you know, just staying in shape is, is a big thing here. And those guys, when, when ba- if baseball does start up again at some point, those guys are going to need a couple weeks to get things going, and that's when they'll get the rhythm back. back yeah, in makes a lot of sense. And, and obviously, like you kind of alluded to, very different situation maybe for position players uh, than it is for, for pitchers. I'm talking about state of baseball generally. Um, you're a high on base guy, obviously, over a 300 career hitter. What do you make of, of the trends in terms of, uh, you know, launch angle, everything we talk about endlessly these last five years, six years, whatever it is, uh, when, you know, it, it seems like so many guys are, are just trying to elevate and swing to the fences? I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't love this. I don't love the strikeouts. I don't know. As a player, personally, I just I wanted to beat the guy no matter what. And I, I don't know, I, 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 especially, you know, playing with a guy like Tony Gwynn back in the day. I remember being in Tony Gwynn's all-star group in 2004 and, he was probably so annoyed that I was in his group because I couldn't, I couldn't ask him enough questions about situations and how he let the ball travel so well, how he was able to shoot at the left. And he was, it was like such cool conversations with him. And, you know, you go back to the great bats like Tony Gwynn, like, you know, I don't know if those guys, you know, exist anymore. And like, and, and for me, you know, it, it, there's, there's too many, too much swing and miss, man. There's just too much acceptance of one, two, three, and you're out. Awesome stuff with Sean Casey, man. What a what a hitter. What a hitter. Uh, before I let you go, though, you've got one of my favorite sports pictures hanging over your left shoulder right now. Uh, State Stadium, 1986. That's uh, Mike Tyson, Terrell Strawberry, and Doc Gooden. I, I'm, I'm glad to see you also are a fan of that unbelievable picture. I think it was from Sports Illustrated. Yeah, isn't that unbelievable? I mean, who doesn't remember that 86 Mets team, you know, with, with what Gooden did those years and Strawberry and how big Tyson was, you know? Uh yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know. I, I got that at a, at a bat um, baseball assistance team uh, charity auction a few years back. And and uh, the greatest thing for me, there was a huge snowstorm that night, so a lot of people couldn't make it. So I put a nice bid on it, and I got it. I was like, yes. So that, you know, it's, that's why it's in my house. But I love that picture. It's such a three icons at the time, you know? I was going to say, if you, if you had to have a snapshot, literally, of sports in 1986, that might be it. Man. <laughs> <A couple laughs> crazy Mets and Mike Tyson. Like, what else is there? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Fridge Perry. That's about it. Uh, Sean, great to see you, man. Appreciate it. Glad your family's doing well. Continue to take care of yourselves, and uh, hopefully we can talk some uh, on-field baseball with you sometime soon. Sounds good, Jesse. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. That is the mayor, Sean Casey from MLB Network. Appreciate him taking some time uh, from his home in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, He's an enthusiastic guy, as you can tell. One of my favorite things, Ben and Brady, um, is is finding out or hearing firsthand like that guys who had the opportunity to talk hitting with Tony Gwynn, like major league hitters, and geek out about it. Uh, Tony Jr. has told the story a couple of times on the broadcasts now about like Joey Votto. I think the story, and, and Tony, I'm sorry, I'm messing it up, but when Tony Jr. was playing, he got the first base against the Reds, and while he was like leading off of first base, Joey Votto was like, yeah, can I get your dad's number? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, and wanted you know to be able to connect with Tony to be able to talk hitting. Um, I mean, as fans of Tony and and every Padre fan, of course, is it, it's so cool hearing somebody like Joey Votto or Sean Casey wanting to be able to dig into his brain as as a fellow major league hitter. Scenery. Sorry, sorry my plan backfired. It started raining. My outdoor <laughs> studio. It's, it's getting wet. So I, I was just gonna say, Jesse, do you cover. think Ben even knows he's live right now? Yeah, I know. I did. I just wasn't. It just all of a sudden, it was nice just a few minutes ago. Now, uh, 
Now it's raining here in the backyard. Amazing how rain works. Okay, like again, that. So, sorry. <laughs> I, out there I, and love, it's I, love, I love athletes like Sean Casey, though, who are still fans and still who still geek out like about the picture or about talking to Tony Gwynn and can still appreciate it, even though they've been a part of it. They can also still appreciate how lucky they are to be a part of it and have that kind of access. It is really cool. And I, I think that like Sean, I just in baseball in general, or I think of guys like Sean Casey, I feel like the casual fan might be like who, who Sean Casey, you know, if they maybe don't pay close attention to the game, he was a career, like you mentioned, just a career, a 302 hitter over 300 yeah. hitter. And, you know, behind me, I have a shrine to Mickey Mantle, you know, somewhere back here. And, I, Mickey, he, one of his greatest regrets, he said, was playing so long and so injured that he let his career batting average drop below 300 and he ended up a 298 hitter. He's like, I, I was a 300 plus hitter my whole career. And because he played through injuries and in so long that he let it drop down, that was one of his greatest regrets. And I'm like, man, you were just talking to a dude who had a better career batting average than Mickey Mantle. It's like, amazing. Like that guy, it's amazing. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. Uh, ben, before we wrap this thing up, do, is that a chicken coop? Uh, it's a garden um, okay. with nothing in it right now. We're going to be planting soon. You know, I've uh, got to get those summer vegetables going pretty soon. But we put the wire around it because the birds and the, um, yeah, the, it's a raised garden bed, Geekster. It's, uh, we have uh, underneath, the water is underneath. It's a sub-irrigation. So uh, it causes the roots to grow down deeper and kind of reach for that water source. So you get, you know, more robust plants and better tomatoes in the summer. Yeah, you you want your drip irrigation if you can get it. That's uh, that's the way to do it. Awesome. Uh, Sounds like some serious spin zone, man. Uh, By the way, Fox Sports San Diego uh, replaying another game uh, coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. So you only got about a half hour to kill before you get some baseball on your television. Uh, Final game before the All-Star break last year. Uh, Chicken strip on the mound for the Dodgers. That's a leadoff home run from Fernando Tatis Jr. And I don't want to play spoiler, but Fernando wasn't done. After that leadoff home run, he did it both at the plate and in the field that afternoon. Padres beat the Dodgers in the final game before the All-Star break last year. Oh, there's the spoiler. His second home run of the day, it was a three-run shot over Jock Peterson to left field. Man, do I miss baseball. That game coming up at 7 o'clock tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. You get your dose of Don and Mud, and then you can overdose on Don and Mud uh, tomorrow on Padres Social Hour at 5 30 big thank you again to ben higgins mornings 5 to 9 a.m 97 3 the fan with stephen woods and of course on channel 10 and brady phelps at lob shots appreciate you guys glad everybody Thanks, is uh, healthy and safe good to see you both take care appreciate thank you, you so much that's gonna do it for this evening again back tomorrow at 5 30 coronado bridge and uh yeah, it's, uh, it's, we all miss it, man. We really, really do. So enjoy that game at 7 o'clock. We got Don and Mud on the whole show tomorrow. Thanks again to Ben and Brady. We will talk to you guys tomorrow night. Have a good night.